guess we're just kind of hanging around now, waiting for her to come back. Can't believe we had to go through Atlanta. Excellent. Very good. This briefing is from file A56-7W. Classified top secret subject is... Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better... Stronger. Faster. My name's Tim Sale, and you're listening to Hey Kids Comics. Hey Kids, blah, blah. Last night's quest. <laughs> oh, fair play to you. Did just read the <laughs> yeah. notes as I've written them. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Hello, lovely, lovely people, and welcome to the end of an era. Well, the end of an era. Anyway. Okay. Eight solid episodes on Night's Quest, and this will be the final one of them ever. The final episode we we're, we're do not going to come back and Night's do more. Quest. We're not going to do Night's Quest again. Do no. the deleted scenes. No. We've okay. carried our deadboard bin there, done that. Or anything. Mm. Um, this is Hey Kids Comics. I am Andrew Leyland. And I am Michael Leyland. And we have survived as bats. Yes. Yes, we have. <laughs> he didn't even bother showing up to me. He's, he's walking down the street and a couple of guys going, Oh... I got beat up by that crazy Batman fella. But that crazy Batman fella. And, and I'm like, I, I've not seen him. I got there beat up by that crazy Batman fella with Sparky gloves of death. <laughs> by heck, I beat him with me whip it. <laughs> Slaps him right there with a black pudding. E bargum. <laughs> Slaps him with a dead pig's butt. <laughs> yes, yes indeed. And then I doffed my flat cap to him. But then he got away, so I threw my hat on the floor and jumped on it. Yes, my imaginary flat cap. And so, it ends. Or it begins. Uh, people have asked, are we going to do Night's End? Not to yet. which I replied, yeah. yes, we will do Night's End. We've already planned this in advance. Well, we've not decided when we're going to do Night's End. We have lots of, of plans for the new year. By which I mean I've scribbled some stuff on a sheet of A4 paper. On my drawing. And then I've kind of made a little note next to it as to how many episodes I think they should be. Brightest day won't be two. Brightest brightest day? Or do I have to throw you a bone and do that? We could do three, maybe four. Oh, no. Um, we'll see. Um, yeah, so we, we have plans mm-hmm. for the new year, um, don't we? Yes. Yes. Yeah. But we're not going to go into that now. We're going to celebrate. Celebrate, we are. We're going to celebrate the marvellous conclusion to Night's Quest. The search. Yes, because we have already concluded Night's Quest, the Crusade. This, is this the ending too? Yes. Is this like if Red Dead Redemption were Night's Quest? It could end here, but no, it's going to end in a bit more time. No, it's just going to carry on a bit. No, it's like the Return of the King. 
Yeah. Well, by the time it did actually end, you were like, thank God. Is that it now? We've got six endings. Oh, like when David Tennant regenerated. Well, you finally got to him regenerating and you were glad to see the back of him. Because it just took so goddamn long for him to actually do it. <laughs> no, I'm not. I got so fed up. He's just going to go and see Sarah Jane. And then he's going to regenerate. No, now he's going to go and see um, Captain Jack. And then he's going to regenerate. No, now he's going to go and see the daughter of some woman that he was with in another. Now he's going to regenerate. No, he's going to go to Donna's wedding. Now he's going to regenerate. No. They should all regenerate like Peter Davis. How did he regenerate? He was dying. He sacrificed himself to save his companion. He stumbled into the TARDIS, having saved her from the very jaws of death itself. He fell onto the floor and regenerated. And that's the way it should be. Anyway, we're not a Doctor Who podcast. No, no. No, we're not. We are a comic book podcast. And to that end, well, we will be covering... Batman podcast. <laughs> yes, at the moment we're a Batman podcast. Um, to that end, we will be covering four, four shiny comic book goodness issues today in which we will conclude our coverage of the second part of the Knights trilogy. Well... Uh, at the end of it... Say second. Yeah, it is. The third part's Knights End. We made it the second... Why? Well, what should be the well, second? The Search and the Crusade. Well, Night Quest is the second part of the trilogy, and within that, there are two distinct plot lines branching off okay. from the central trunk that is Night's Quest. Nightfall was chapter one, Night's End is chapter three. Okay. With Prodigal as acting as kind of a coda at the end of it all. Okay. Okie dokie. Uh, after this, we will also be looking at our favourite bits... And giving the whole thing a nice big wrap-up, won't we? With a big bow on it. Like a Christmas present. Like a Christmas present. How topical is that? It's not very topical for people who discover the show six months from now and listen to it in the middle of summer. Yeah. But, you know. Or for people who don't like Christmas. Oh, humbug to those people, I say. Legends of the Dark Knight 59 came out. It's it's just not right to not celebrate Christmas. (laughs) Legends of the Dark Knight 59 came out on the 22nd of February 1994 and has a wonderfully moody cover by Norm Brayfogle. From a low angle we see Bruce Wayne bathed in blue shadows and leaning on a cane as bats fly around him away from a wonderfully rendered full moon. The London skyline plays out in the background with Big Ben featured prominently. In a contrastingly well lit spotlight at the bottom of the page we see two dead parents but in a twist this isn't Thomas and Martha Wayne but the dead bodies of Chandra and Ash Parents, and while Chandra is distraught, Benedict is positively revelling in their deaths. An excellent cover with extensive use of blue that gives it a glorious nighttime in the city vibe. Lots of use of blue. Lots of use of blue. None more blue. What did you think of that cover, Michael? It's alright. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> Take a drink. Um, entitled Quarry, Part 1 of 3. This was written by Denny O'Neill and drawn by Ron Wagner and Ron McCain. The two Rons. Willie Schubert lettered, digital chameleon coloured, and Archie Goodwin and Jim Spivey, or Spivey if you prefer, edited. Who, who calls the chart digital? I don't know, it's a pretty good name, isn't it? <laughs> digital chameleon. Mr. and Mrs. Chameleon. <laughs> That's a pretty good name. And the sun multicoloured. Uh, Bruce is being given a scolding from his doctor about traipsing around the globe when he should be concentrating on getting better. There's still a slim chance Bruce can recover if and only if he heads straight home and seeks out a competent physician. Alfred, unsurprisingly, agrees and is appalled when Bruce says he's not going home to recuperate but instead staying in London to bring Chandra and Benedict to justice for all the dead in Monk Lee. 
Benedict Asp, meanwhile, is having trouble convincing Chandra to help now that Jack Drake has been rescued and he has no hold over her. She attempts to escape, but despite beating she attempts to escape, but despite besting Asp, is thwarted by Asp's thug for hire. With Chandra back in his possession, he turns his attentions to finding and eliminating Sir Hemingford Grey, the English nobleman who was instrumental in rescuing Drake. At that moment, Bruce is resurrecting his disguise as Sir Hemingford Grey and calls Tim to ask about Jack Drake. Tim says he's doing better and reveals that a little computer hacking has resulted in finding out that Chandra Kinsolving was born Sandra Asplin and adopted by Amos and Minnie Asplin. Bruce and Alfred head out to Slag Lake, where Minnie Asplin still lives but not before preventing an attack on Sir Hemingford's life. Arriving at Minnie's house, they discover that Sandra was beaten as a child by her adopted father, and the beatings only got worse after her powers manifested when she came into contact with Benedict. Minnie did nothing to prevent these beatings. Bruce asks her why obvious a bigot would adopt a black child, and Minnie replies it was so he could feel good about himself beating on something so obviously of the devil. Simultaneously, Asp is forcing Chandra to remember the beatings, remember how Minnie wouldn't help her, how Amos, her adoptive father, beat her ferociously, and together they are able to channel their powers and kill Minnie Asplin in front of a startled Bruce and Alfred. What do you think of that one, Mike? Um, page two, panel six. Yes. Um, it wouldn't be so bad having a broken back for life in this case. I mean, Dick could be Batman and sent to the path by Darkseid, and then Bruce would be fine after the reboot with Barbara. Uh, the new 52. Very good. Page 6, panel 1. Mm-hmm. We get a complete six, list of Chandra's sexual fancies. What were... She describes Benedict as having fists, whips, thumbscrews, or something even nastier. Mm-hmm. Are you sure that they're just your fantasies? No, it sounds painful. Okay. I, I, I don't like being hit. No. You're not into that, then. Mention that to your girlfriend. Carry on! <laughs> well... You can hit a woman with everything you got, and I guarantee that it won't hurt as much as page seven, panel one. <laughs> Where she gives him a swift, a swift kick to the crown jewels. Yeah. He deserves it. He ben- Benedict Asp is a scumbag of the highest order. Mm-hmm. Added to the fact that he's barking as well, <laughs> but he's just you know, he's a bit on the wrong side. Yes, of he sanity. thoroughly deserved that kick to his meat and two veg. <laughs> and one would only hope she kicked him hard enough that he's got three Adam's apples. <laughs> <laughs> Page 18. Um, Bruce Wayne, too cool to be on a plane with other people. Yes, he is. And Alfred Pennyworth, too cool to drink anything but tea. Yes, he is. Let's be honest, if you had Bruce Wayne's money, you too wouldn't travel with other people. I'd well, go out of my way to not apply, travel I'd, with other I'd people now when I don't have any money. He doesn't need first class, he can afford his own jet. What do you want to What does he He's need? He's got his own class. Us? Yes, what does he need? Bruce Wayne class. <laughs> The class that you just aren't rich enough for. Mm, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, the first couple of pages of this I really liked. Because I like they show how bloody-minded Bruce can be, refusing to seek medical aid and risking his health to bring Asp to justice. However, Denny O'Neill's skilled handling of character and plot give this a subtle undercurrent in that Bruce has been betrayed in his mind by Chandra and there may be a little bit of ego driving Bruce as well. It's well handled by O'Neill and we're not beaten over the head with it. Rather, it's addressed once by Alfred and left to stew in the reader's mind. This, this one was a much more psychological issue than anything other than what Alan Grant's done. Page 10 to 16, the scene in those pages is really well done. Bruce shows just how cool under fire he is, 
taking out a gun-toting thug with ease, even though he doesn't actually seem to move because he's actually crippled with pain. Yeah. The pages were he, he catches, he takes the knife off the guy who's threatening him. What's his name? Fritz. Mm. Catches it in mid air and then throws it back at him. It's just really cool. I thought it was. Yeah. Or did you even notice? No, I, I did. I liked it. Uh, likewise, O'Neill handles the juxtaposition of shots in the book's final third with ease. It's not something that's easy to synopsize, but O'Neill has overlapping conversations between Bruce and Minnie and Asp and Chandra, filling in the blanks in her background and using some wonderful visual cues through repeated images of Amos Asplin as a pillar of the community, contrasted with the shots of him beating up a little girl, are especially chilling. But it's Minnie Asplin's casual dismissal of what her husband was doing that makes her the target for Asp and Chandra's ire, albeit reluctantly in her case. The final scene in this book where Chandra and Asper kill Amos, um, you can understand why they did it. Yeah. I don't know how culpable Benedict... Well, well, yes, he has just pushed him, hasn't he? And smashed his head into the table, causing him quite a severe gash in the back of his head. Mm. If we have a look at the last panel on page 21. All in all... I liked that one a lot. I thought that was an excellent first issue in the final story arc. Building on what's gone before in a logical fashion whilst moving all the pieces into place for the finale. Um, It's a foregone conclusion that we know how this is all going to end, isn't it? Yeah. Let's be honest, that's been foreshadowed since Chandra showed up. Though she'd be instrumental in Bruce's return to health. But it's a testament to the skills of the creative team that this is still an exciting and well-paced read. Until you get to the last page, which is an advert for a Steven Seagal movie. Uh, Michael Caine was in this. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Why Why did Michael Caine do a Steven Seagal movie? The money. Well, yes, obviously. Michael Caine's never been one to deny that he's done any number of projects just for the money. But a Steven Seagal movie? Steven Seagal's crap, isn't he? Let's be honest. He's, he's got to have some fans. Legends of the Dark Knight 60. Shipped on the 29th of March 1994, and I've actually got one! Yeah. Got a copy! Yes. Finally! Oh, right, because you didn't, and then eBay. I didn't, and then eBay came to my rescue at the last possible moment. So I managed to get all the Six days after you placed a bid. Well, yeah, I had to wait six days for the eBay thing to run out, but I got it for about 30p. Not including postage, so that's not bad. Uh, it's got another excellent Nombre Fogel cover of Alfred walking out on Bruce, who sits alone and dejected in the dark with the shadow of the Batman lurking over him. Again, wonderfully moody and looks like it was painted from the pencils. Is that what that looks like to you? Yes. It's like he's penciled it and then painted over it. It's really good. I like it. Um, it's called Quarry Part 2 and was created by the same people as last issue, except the art is now by Eduardo Barreto who I, I quite like. Um, picking up pretty much where we left off last issue, Chandra is being tortured by Benedict, which conveniently allows for him to recap the last issue for any Johnny-come-latelys. After finishing with Chandra, Benedict vows vengeance on Sir Hemingford Grey. He dons the silly helmet from the issues of Shadow of the Bat and targets Grey as he did his mother in the previous issue. In his real guise as Bruce Wayne, and with little help from Tim Drake, a.k.a. Robin, they have deduced Benedict Asp's real name of Benjamin Asplin, who has a bit of a record for selling organs from fresh corpses and drug trafficking. Suddenly, Bruce feels dizzy, and if Hemingford Grey were real, Bruce fears he would now be dead. Alfred takes him to hospital, where he is ordered to take it easy. A news report about Monk Lee and a threat to the President of the USA forces Bruce to ignore doctor's orders, and Alfred, fed up with Bruce's refusal to look after himself, quits. Alfred heads to Wayne Manor, where he enlists the help of Jean-Paul in helping Bruce. 
Bruce, meanwhile, has resurrected Sir Hemingford in an effort to lure Benedict Asp out of hiding, which, of course, works, and whilst on a yacht on the outskirts of Gotham, he leaves a final word for Tim in case he doesn't return. Sir Hemingford Grey is attacked, but Batman swoops in, in a wonderful couple of pages that are almost wordless, and rescues Sir Hemingford only to realise it's a decoy, and the real Sir Hemingford is a captive of Benedict Ass. It's a trap! Blah, 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 blah. Yes. Go on, and, and amaze me with your extensive notes on oh, this issue that cover I, at least I, three and a half pages, single line space, size 10 font. Is it really? <laughs> okay. But other than that, none of that's true. No. <laughs> well, I, I really enjoyed the first issue. Yes. And, and well, I didn't enjoy this one. Why not? I don't know. It, it, it just didn't seem as good. Well. Maybe it's the art. Do you not like Eduardo Barreto? It's not that I don't like it, it's just I prefer the other one. No, oh, okay, fair enough. Carry on then. Well, um, I liked Heavenford Grey's death. It, Even though he didn't actually die. Well, yeah, it's uh, a bit like a bit in Death Note where this dude goes by a pseudonym and then the protagonist, who's a bad guy, goes to kill him because he doesn't know his real name. He doesn't die! Right, so it's exactly the same as Death Note then? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. And um, you know it's a good issue when Alfred shouts at a taxi driver. Uh, Alfred's stuff with the taxi driver, uh, I think, is comedy gold. There's a brilliant bit where, um... He says, uh, Wayne Manor, if you please, I shall direct you. You're kidding me, pal. That's more than 20 miles outside the city limits. Ah, you are familiar with the area. An excellent quality for a taxi man to possess. I commend you. Hurry, please. <laughs> Sucky get. And there's a brilliant bit later on where, um, Carlos Tim, Lally 675 for all the way out here. It is precisely 15% of the fur. I believe that is the recommended rate. And then he walks off. <laughs> He's right. I do. And when he walks into Wayne Manor, a cobweb. Disgraceful. <laughs> I do like Alfred in this. Just barbaric. <laughs> it's quality. I love the way he manipulates Jean-Paul as well. Mm. It's really, really clever how he does that. Alfred's a clever person. Yes. Page 16, panel 2. Yes. It's a then even better issue when Bruce disses the American police. Why? What does he say? Um, say, are you a yeah. copper or a garbage collector? Probably a copper. A garbage man would smell better. All right, that bit. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Uh, page 18, panel 3. Yes. We get a cameo from S.H.I.E.L.D. What, the guys swimming in? Yeah. Into the boat? That's, that's S.H.I.E.L.D. even more. Is it? Yeah. All right, fair enough. I'll give you that. At least it was before they all went moody and leather jackets. Before they went in the films. Uh, page 20 is exceptional and would be great as a poster or even a better cover. It is uh, the splash page of uh, Batman attacking the people on the boat, which leads into the, the aforementioned couple of pages I mentioned earlier where it's just Batman versus criminals. The five pages of wordless pa pages. The five pages of wordless pages, yeah, um, are exceptionally well done. I do like it when Batman's all silent and just takes people out with a minimum of fuss. Mm. Spider-Man would have just been taking the mick out of him all the time yeah. which is funny but I do sometimes just like Bruce well, it's not Bruce in this case is it? Batman just taking people down instead of doing ballet dancing like most Batmans do yeah it's just I've had enough of this I'm just punching them all out um, I do love Bruce's line on page 3 about them uh, having <laughs> having indoor toilets these days after Alfred Marvel's internet technology 
I think that's quite clever. Uh, O'Neill's one of the best writers around when it comes to the Alfred Bruce relationship, and it really shines in the novel, which you've not read, have you? O'Neill paints them not just as a father and son, but also as a big brother, little brother, and the constant bickering and smart-ass comments to each other. Um, page eight. Alfred marvels again at Bruce's knowledge. He's watching the um, the news, and somebody mentions a billion dollars to a Mr. Eurasus. I'm probably butchering that name. And Bruce, just off the top of his head, knows that Eurasus, the sacred hasp on the heads of Egyptian deities. And Alfred's like, what an astounding piece of information to have. And you, you believe that Bruce would know that. Yeah. You believe that he's got all these obscure facts just at his fingertips. I quite like, I love stuff like that. It's both funny and charming. It's not like in Star Trek where Captain Kirk will suddenly just know something. And you go, how does he know that? Like uh, the, yes, the green one. The, the seduce her is by buying good lunch. No, that, when the <laughs> spectre of the gun one, we're off the top of his head. He not only can reel off all the people involved at the gunfight at the OK Corral, but he remembers what order they all died in and the exact date that it happened. And it's like, bloody hell, James T. Kirk's an incredible historian, isn't he? Maybe to know something that happened off. 400 years before him. Oh, yeah, maybe he's just watched that film. Maybe he watched The Last Gunfight a lot of time and went, there's a guy in that who looks like just like Dr. McCoy. <laughs> uh, page 20, and Michael's already mentioned that that's an excellent splash page of Batman with Barretto making the bat armor look both practical and scurry. Bruce's line on page 10 about when Alfred quits, and there's a pause before Bruce says, oh, I think he means it. Is both funny and touching simultaneously. And you've mentioned that Alfred's at his pithy best with the cabbie. Um, and his wonderful manipulation of Jean-Paul to get him to help Bruce is brilliant. Does Jean, do you think Jean-Paul even realises that he's been played there? No, he's not. I think he's, he's not smart enough to realise that Alfred's just manipulated him to do exactly what he wanted him to do without actually making it obvious mm. what he wanted him to do. Maybe Alfred's part woman. Yeah. <sighs> just saying. O'Neill masterfully starts moving all the pieces into place to end Knight's Quest and begin Knight's End. And this is an enjoyable and fast-paced read with O'Neill's penchant for pithy dialogue in full evidence. The big surprise here, it was Barretto's uh, and the fact that you didn't like it. I was quite surprised by that. I didn't like it, I preferred the other. Alright, okay. I've always liked his stuff, especially in the Speeding Bullets Elseworld tale. Have you ever read that? No. Where Bruce Wayne... Clark Kent is adopted by the Waynes. No. That's really good. Okay. James DeMathis, or Matthias, or however you pronounce it, wrote that. Okay. It's on the bookshelf. I think you should read that. You'd enjoy that. Um, I don't think he disappoints. His lines are crisp and moody, and his ability to make Iron Bat look plausible and menacing. Which, if one of the things we know covering through all of this, is very few artists have managed to pull that off. Yeah. Not making as bats look a bit silly. The story continued, actually, Quarry concluded in Legends of the Dark Knight 61, which came out on the 26th of April 1994. Quarry Part 3 was produced by the same creative team as last issue. Again, another excellent cover by Norm Brayfogle of Asp standing over a prone Bruce Wayne and Chandra holding him. A window behind Asp is broken with thunder, rain and lightning streaming through. Again, this looked penciled and then coloured. Uh, and the effect's really good. I think Norm Brayfogle did a really good job with these covers. Yeah. Which is a shame he wasn't doing the interiors as well in many parts. Uh, the final part of Night Quest The Search kicks off 
with Batman threatening one of the men who acted as a decoy to find the location of Bruce Wayne. The Mark doesn't know that Asp has taken Wayne and Chandra to a secure location in the Caribbean. Asp explains his silly hat to Bruce, still in the guise of Sir Hemingford Grey, and that it works by projecting Chandra's healing energy across the world and enables him to subvert it. He tried to kill Sir Hemingford and wants to know why it didn't work. Bruce acknowledges that he knows of Asp's plan to kill numerous world leaders tomorrow, and Asp drugs Chandra again and, in conjunction with her power, tries to kill Sir Hemingford and again fails because Sir Hemingford isn't a real person. Over in Gotham, Robin and Commissioner Gordon chat about Gordon's conversation with Batman, the real one, Bruce Wayne, and how if Gordon monitored a certain frequency, he'd hear a homing signal that would lead him to information on who wiped out the population of Monkley and who had threatened the US President and numerous other world leaders. Alas, Gordon can't do anything about it, as it leads to Santa Prisca in the Caribbean, and they have no diplomatic ties to that area. Bruce wakes up after his ordeal and can barely move. He's almost incapacitated. He makes his way to the door and picks the locks, but is stopped by Asp's bodyguard Fritz, who still harbours a grudge. Bruce takes him down, despite his limitations, and makes his way to Chandra, who seems to have the mental ability of a small child. She explains about the death of her father and how she ran away. She also explains that she knows he's Bruce Wayne, and that Bruce Wayne is the Batman. Unfortunately, Asp is listening in and realises why he was unable to kill Hemingford Grey, and sets off after Chandra and plans to use the device to kill Bruce. Fritz warns him about the impending twister, and as they enter the room, they walk into an ambush. Bruce manages to overcome Fritz, almost beating him to death, while Sandra fights off Asp. She pushes him aside as Bruce, barely able to move, says that he was going to ask Chandra to marry him. Asp lunges for Fritz's gun, but Bruce stabs him with the syringe he was using to drug her, and holding him, she uses her powers to kill him. Bruce says that he can't move, and Chandra moves to hold him. She continues to hold him all night, letting her power slowly flow through his body, healing him and soothing him. Come morning, Bruce is fully healed, and he takes Chandra home to Gotham, where he meets Tim, and explains that Fritz and Asp are dead. He buys an estate for Chandra, who is little more than a two-year-old in an adult's body, along with the best medical care he can provide, as he has been told there is no hope for a recovery. After checking that she's okay, he and Tim... Oh, you've done a bit more notes for this one. I have, yeah. Go on, amaze me with your notage. Well, have I only just recently noticed this? Yes. Or is it like an error in the arts or something? Oh, does Asp's mask make his pupils disappear? Well, isn't that just comic book shorthand for something is happening that's quite demonic? He's evil. Yeah, in Uh, that his eyes just go all white. And I didn't notice that they, they disappear... Do you, say, do you think they disappear whenever he uses his silly hat? Um, well... Because I didn't I don't know, because I saw him with him without, but then on the next page, he had his pupils back, then uh, he disappeared again. It could have just been an error, I suppose. I never noticed that they disappeared as a regular thing. Yeah. Yes. Uh, page 7, panel 5? Yes. Robin might have had a good teacher mm-hmm. when he says about sneaking around, but his teacher wore black and grey instead of bright green and red. You're saying it's harder to sneak around when you wear red and green? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that just means Robin's actually better at it than Batman. Fair enough. Because Robin can do it whilst wearing red and green. Yeah. And yellow. There's a bit where she's talking to Bruce. Yes. After she realises that he's Batman. Yes. And then goes ahead and says that he's Batman. Well... Which is almost as stupid as Justice League issue 2. <laughs> yeah, Justice League issue 2 Barry, you're going to give away your identity. Yeah, that was remarkably dumb. You know, Barry, that thing you keep a secret. This wasn't as dumb. No. 
because you can argue she didn't know the room was bugged. Well, no. One of the staples has come out of the centre pages of this comic. Oh, yeah. I blame you. I didn't notice when I was reading it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, she didn't know the room was bugged. Okay. So it's not quite as dumb as that bit in Justice League <laughs> of America, which is very, very stupid. Very. Mm. Uh, page 21, panel 1. Yeah. Just when you thought this out-of-the-blue love for Chandra couldn't be any more rushed, Bruce drops a bombshell like that. Yeah, I was going like, to ask you gonna... to marry me, but we're all going to die now. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I met you a couple of months ago, but yeah. But it doesn't really matter anymore. Yes. Uh, page 23, panel 3. Yes. I can't move. Well, all that beating Bruce got couldn't have done him any favours. Well, see, Alfred Wright to bail out at this point because yeah. Bruce has done very little to actually get himself to heal surely the smartest thing to do in this story would have been essentially turn himself into Oracle he sits at home and Dick Grayson goes out and does all of this stuff Yeah. now I understand from what somebody said when the email does in when we did Nightfall that Dick Grayson was busy doing something with the Teen Titans but his absence in all of this is still really irritating to me. Yeah. I really don't believe for a second Dick Grayson wouldn't have dropped by Gotham to see what this new Batman was up to and how he was doing. Yeah. But the, the other argument to that is, if he didn't do all this, then he wouldn't have got his back healed at the end. And it's not Dick Grayson's story. I get that. But at the same time, if you were in trouble, I would come and find out what was wrong with you. Okay. Wherever you were or whatever I was doing. Because that's what we do. It's family. Okay. So the fact that Dick's not even picked up a phone and said, Oi, Tim, how's that new Batman working out? And Tim's known, well... He's crap. Actually, he's he's a a bit of a douche, Dick. Do you want to come down and and see what I mean? And Dick went, okay, I'll I'll pop down. And Dick Grayson would have gone, no, I'm not having none of this. (laughs) But then the story would have... But then the Bruce Wayne aspect of this would have still worked because he could have still been off following Chandra, I suppose. Yeah. But no, I'll say Dick Grayson's absence is a big sticking point for me in this entire story. Yes. Or even at all. Yeah. Well, he was in it in... <laughs> he was in I one line. And one page, sorry, in Batman 500, in which he acted woefully out of character <laughs> yeah. and basically said, I don't care, you're on your own. And it's like, no! Get that mullet back here now. Yeah. Get a better costume. At page 23, panel 5. Mm. Well, am I looking at this wrong, or does it look a lot you're like, looking at it wrong especially with Bruce's expression well I see I, uh, that's an expression of relief yes because she's she's fixing his broken spine <laughs> that's pretty damn relieffful okay then okay fair enough well at the end at first I thought Chandra was just having a fun time playing with some toys like hell you even do yeah I have dolls but, but then I realised that she's living a childhood she didn't have which was even creepier yes yeah, she's regressed she's like a four year old mentally yeah. I presume because of all the drugs that Benedict Asp has been giving her I found that quite creepy but did you yeah and especially at the end you've got a couple of panels where oh, there's no hope of recovery bye Chandra <laughs> I'm off back to my own book now. There's lots of fans shouting at me for being in this title. Yes, people are sulking that we've crossed over into Legend of the Dark Knight, so bye. Um, Page one, to go through my notes, is a pretty good opening splash page of Batman throwing somebody around. And the art by Barretto continues to be strong throughout the issue. I wonder why he didn't do all three parts. 
Maybe, maybe he wouldn't have had a problem with that if he'd done all three parts. Maybe. I don't understand why he did. Maybe he was busy. Yeah, possibly. Maybe he was doing something else. The rest of the issue sets about wrapping up all the loose ends and setting up the final arc in this three-part story and Night's End as a rule. Which is why it's a shame that the final issue in the Night's Quest to Search story arc, which has encompassed nine issues, three different titles, comes to a it has to be said, a rather disappointing conclusion. Mm. Chandra has slowly been digressing mentally over the past couple of issues, as you just mentioned. Presumably, as drugs start to affect her mental state and Bruce's physical condition has been likewise deteriorating as he's tried to find her. The problem with this is that exactly what the drug has been doing to Chandra has never been adequately explained. We've just suddenly seen her start behaving like a child. Bruce's rather sudden declaration of love for Chandra is something that, again, both of us I've mentioned over the past couple of shows that isn't something we've ever really bought. So this aspect of the story falls flat. I'm not saying I don't believe in love at first sight. I'm sure that it happens all the time, to quote Ringo Starr. But when it's as pivotal and as important to the story as this, we need to believe it. And it's a shame that it doesn't work. You have something to say? (laughs) It's better to burn out than to fade away. Did you just quote Def Leppard? No, I just quoted Highlander. You didn't quote Def Leppard, though, didn't you, Mum? Inadvertently. Uh, It works much better in the novel, which also explains that Chandra corrupted Asp's mind and may even be responsible for his being a little mad when she touched his child as... Touched his child? That's (laughs) strong, isn't it? When she touched his mind as a child. She channeled this power in later years towards healing and the novel goes into much more detail about how Chandra's powers work, lightening them to she-king, the therapeutic touch, and all of that stuff. Uh, The ending in the comic is really quite rushed. Essentially, you've got a one-page wrap-up where Bruce says to Tim, oh yeah, she's ill, she's never going to recover. He kisses her on the cheek and says, bye! It's one of those things at the end of the movie where in writing it just says, such a such a person went on to being... A- yeah, yeah. What, what happened to them at the end of the film? It always reminds me, it reminds me, not always, it reminded me, there was a couple of episodes of The Incredible Hulk where at the end of the show, there was no reason for him to leave. It was one of them where... Nobody had seen the whole Jack McGee hadn't shown up. He had a perfectly cushy job yeah. doing what he did. There was no reason for him to leave other than that was the formula of the show. The end of every episode, yeah. he picks up his little brown bag and off he goes to the tinkly, tinkly music of sadness. Yeah. And this reeked of that. This reeks of, right, Chandra's played her part in the story. We don't need her anymore. We're off. Yeah. See ya. She's never going to recover. Bye! And she's never mentioned again. Ever? No. As far as I recall, Chandra Kinsolving is never mentioned again. She may be mentioned in Night's End, but as far as I know, she's never, she never shows up again. In the novel, Asp's body disappears, leaving it open for him to return in some way, whilst in the comic he's mentioned as being buried in an unmarked grave. And again, he's another character that's never shown up again. Benedict Ast has never reappeared. No mention is made in the novel of what happens to Chandra. This isn't in the book. Okay. There's a bit, he just... He finds himself healed. He's on the beach. And then next he returns to Gotham because the book's rapidly restructured. Mm. And he says to Tim, oh, I'll tell you what happened to Chandra later. So she's wrote out of the book even more non-committally. I'll tell you about that later. It's not important right now. (laughs) We can laugh about it. Yeah, we can laugh about it later. We'll we'll, we'll get Dick along and tell him what he missed out on. He's going to be so hard. So Bruce, he just says something like she's on a long vacation. Um, so at least here we do get some inclination of what happens to her, mm. though it's it's a bit disappointing and a bit anticlimactic. 
fantastic. Um, I know we still have one issue to go, and I was hoping that we'd get a bit more play out of this, but we didn't. Uh, there's a couple of adverts in these three issues that we haven't talked about. There's one for the Huntress. I like that advert. Um, by like, Chuck Dixon, I, I without, like, yeah. by Michael Netzer. Yeah. And the colour, or lack of it. Well, yeah, it's a, just a close-up of her face, but it is very well done. You've got a four-issue miniseries that I've never read. But Chuck Dixon did it, so it's probably pretty good. I Mike, like Huntress anyway. Yeah, yeah, I know you're a big fan. Which Huntress is this at this point, though? It won't There's be. more than one. Yeah, the post, the pre-crisis Huntress was Batman and Catwoman's daughter? From Earth 2. Yeah. And the new Huntress is from Earth 2. And this no, one is... she, the one in straight after the crisis isn't from Earth 2, because Earth 2 didn't exist no, the anymore. Newest. The newest, New 52 one. Yeah. Right. So this Huntress isn't one of them. So right. I presume she doesn't exist anymore. Mike Mignola did the cover out for Batman Annual 18, which was another Elseworld. That's a great Mona Lisa. Why would you pay billions for Why the real would you one? Pay billions? Mike yes, you can still vote in the 1993 wars. Uh, we did notice there was a Batman versus the Outsiders issue where Azrael takes on the Outsiders, but I don't have it. And I noticed that advert far too late to actually download yeah. it, so we're not covering that. Sorry, don't even know which issue it is. Um, there's a brilliant ad at the end in which the Azrael bat symbol is shattered and cracking and it just says the end is near does that show how many issues it's going to be no it just says the end is well, near no. and it's See, plugging night's that, end the little countdown thing on the night's end issues is it all cracks away so no because there's only ten issues of night's end how many is there uh, one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven do not fall off at the same time. No. <laughs> they may do. You never know. <laughs> it's entirely possible. And the back page, Batman Mask of the Phantasm's come out on video, which we heartily approve of because I love Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Mm-hmm. And you have no opinion either way, do you? No, I like Mask of the Phantasm. Very good, Mask of the Phantasm. Still. It's better than the new Christian Bale stuff. Yes, it's the best Batman film that has yet been released. Mask of the Phantasm. Ever? Yes. Can it ever be out, outdone? And possibly, but they haven't done, have done it yet. Mm-hmm. We need to watch Batman Year One still. Yeah, we need to get we on the ball with Wonder that. Wonder Woman. Still. Yes, we do need to watch Wonder Woman because apparently that's very good. And Nathan Fillion. Speaking of the next issue, Night Quest: The Conclusion is how it's billed at the top of the cover. Appeared in Robin Number Seven, which shipped on the third of May, nineteen ninety four. Entitled Turning Point, it was written by Chuck Dixon with art by Tom Grummet and Ray Kreising. With the ubiquitous Adrian Roy on colours, Albert de Guzman on letters and and Jordan B. Gorfinkel and Denny O'Neill editing. We don't normally give full credit to Robin, but seeing as this issue is a genuine 100% except no substitutes chapter in the Night's Quest storyline and also the last issue of the Night's Quest storyline, we figured we'd better. Because it's moderately important. Moderately. Yeah, well it's the first time since issue one. That it has actually been labelled as being part of Knight's Quest. Yeah. So it's it's quite important to mention who created it. Oh, on that cover. Yes. Uh, I know why they've done it for artistic reasons and yes. so it was Robin, but if you're Bruce, yes. you're gonna go and punch Azriel, right? Yes. Well there's a small child in your way. <laughs> I don't know that stop kicking the small yeah. child instead of punching Azrael. I suppose we we should, since you've jumped ahead slightly, though, we should actually mention what the cover is. I thought you you skipped ahead to the synopsis. Uh, uh, that's because in my notes I de- made a deliberate mistake, hoping that you would notice it. Oh, right, I noticed. The cover <laughs> is obviously by Tom Grummet and Ray Kreising. Is Batman and Bruce Wayne coming to blows while Robin gets in the middle of them? Uh, it doesn't look like a safe place to be. No. To be honest with you, I like that cover, but it's Tom Grummet, so. Bruce is very square jawed. Yeah, he is in this on, issue. On that particular 
cover, but I have no problem with that. I have no problem with Squirt Job Batman. We grew up with Kevin Conroy. It was awesome. Well, you grew up with Kevin Conroy. I was already grown up by the time. Although you can argue that I've, I've not actually grown up no. yet. No. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Tim Drake is awoken in full Robin regalia at 9.17am. Not by the alarm, and presumably this isn't a school day, but by the maid, Mrs McGilvain, informing him that he has to be at the airport in an hour to pick up his father. Quickly covering himself with a robe, Tim abruptly brushes the Mrs McElvain off, hits the showers, and heads over to the airport. Bruce has arranged to meet him there and tells Tim he may be back, but he may not be back as the Batman. Tim is about to tell him about Jean-Paul when his father's plane arrives. On the way home, Jack Drake informs his son this incident, along with the death of his mother, has caused him to reappraise his life and from now on they will be a closer family. Tim leaves Jack to rest and he and Bruce head to the manor. Tim fills in all the gory details about Jean-Paul and Abattoir and even loses his temper with Bruce when he suggests Tim should have told him. Tim mentioned that the cave is sealed up and Bruce and Tim bash their way in with a few mallets. They confront Jean-Paul with Bruce telling him he's become a monster and he's taking back the mantle of the bat before he spills any more blood. He tries taking Jean-Paul on but although he's back in good shape he's nowhere near where he needs to be to be Batman. Jean-Paul takes off in the Batmobile saying that they'd better not be here when he gets back and Robin takes off after him in Redbird. Despite being better at handling and faster over rough terrain the Batmobile is faster on the straight and heavier and Redbird is outclassed especially when Jean-Paul heads off down a one-way system the wrong way. Robin heads back home and Bruce tells him that only the Batman, the real Batman, can take him down. But not yet. Whilst physically fit, Bruce says that his reflexes are shot after so long in a wheelchair and that he needs a crash course at the hands of a master to be back in fighting shape enough to take down Jean-Paul. He leaves and Robin worries that if he's talking about the master he thinks he is, he may have to sell his soul. But he'll make it back. He'll take back Gotham. Because he's the only one that can. You're the best around. No one's ever gonna keep you down. You're the best. I do like it when we do duets. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is an issue of Robin. So I presume I know what you're going to say about it, but go on, amaze me. It was quite good. Oh. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You rendered unto speechless. Okay. Okay, fair enough. We'll carry on. Uh, page two, panel five. Yes. I pretty much always have a cold breakfast, and I live in England, which is pretty much always cold, so I don't see what Tim's complaining about. I get the feeling Tim's used to having a full cooked breakfast every morning, darling, whereas you get up ten minutes before you actually have to leave the house to go to school, shovel some Weetabix down your face, and get out of Dodge. Yeah. <laughs> so, because if you think I'm getting up and making you a full English breakfast every morning, you're severely out of luck. Not even once. I've done it once. We, we used to have it quite a lot. Yeah, but your mum can't be bothered getting out of bed on a Sunday anymore. We eat together at one point. Well, we still do at Christmas. Anyway. Uh, did Tim ever take driving lessons? Yes, I think he did. Because I was going to say, from what I've read, he may have a licence, but he may also be a crap driver. Why do you think he's a crap driver? He drives down the one-way road the wrong way. Yeah, but he's following Batman. He's not, he didn't do that on purpose. We can follow the bloody highway code, code whilst he's at it. Oh, do America have a highway code? Yes, they do, don't they? Yeah. yeah, they have to study that as well, don't they? Like we do. When they do driver's ed in high school. Do they? Yeah. I want to do driver's ed in high school. Yeah. All my lessons are boring. <laughs> driver's ed would be fun, would it? I guess a driver car. Alright, fair enough. Maybe a crap car. It would be. Everybody's first car is a crap car. 
Meanwhile, back on the topic at hand. <laughs> uh, why did Tim and Bruce change just to break into the Batcave? Did what they were wearing not fit into the Batcave fashion? Well, no, but Bruce is wearing a suit and tie. And knowing Bruce Wayne, it's probably a very expensive, handmade, <laughs> cut specifically for him suit and tie. It's Bruce Wayne, he can afford another. Well, yes, but he's breaking into a hole, so he's put on some working clothes. I don't go painting the house in my work clothes. You can't afford clothes like that. Shut up! <laughs> and Robin's in his Robin suit, for some reason. Um, and car chases. Yes. In comics, are usually quite dull, mm. depending on the art. But the one in this is actually damn good. It is, isn't it? Mm. It's really good car chase at the end of this issue. Um, I thought uh, that on page one, I thought it was really cool that Robin has a Gotham Knights flag on his wall. I know nothing about American <laughs> football and or baseball. Uh, I can't remember if the Gotham Knights were a football or a baseball team. In Gotham? Yes, they are the Gotham Knights. Gotham Knights are the Gotham team. Right. Like Manchester was, United or Manchester City. Just a joke like... Gotham Knights are no, no, they are, City Siren. They are the team of Gotham, but yeah. I can't remember whether baseball or football. Okay. Uh, it doesn't really matter no. in the grand scheme of things. I suppose I could look that up if I wanted to, but I can't be bothered. Uh, Mrs. McAlvain has been watching Young Men for many years, she tells Tim as he comes yeah. in modesty and his robbing costume. <laughs> Would she not be fired now at this point? How old's Tim Drake at this point? 14. Yeah. I've been looking at men for many a year. Or oh, no. Flop it out, young Master Drake. Not men. Young men. Yeah, young men. That's even worse, isn't it? <laughs> oh, dear me. Uh, the scene of Tim in his robe on page two and brushing the maid off with some feeble excuses. So very Peter Parker. Yeah. That I actually got a huge kick out of that. I also like that the first person narration here where Tim muses over Bruce's pu- public persona of vacant playboy. Uh, I don't know where he got the idea that Bruce was 100% committed to being Batman again. There's obviously been a conversation here between Bruce and Tim that we didn't see. The novel has that conversation on page 278 279 of the Barnes and Noble edition, which is the one I've got. And it's another example of how in a few short lines of dialogue, writer Denny O'Neill filled in the gaps of the comic book storyline and did it with consummate ease. In fact, the novel does what all the best adaptations need to do. It's ripped the entire storyline apart and restructures it in a manner befitting the medium in which the story is now being told. In the novel, given that lots of Night's Quest the Crusade was left out, the Jean-Paul stuff is heavily rewritten and the abattoir incident takes place after Bruce gets home. So in the book, the abattoir stuff takes place after this or during this this story in this issue. There's a lengthy conversation that addresses one of the points I made on the show a few weeks back, that Robin is culpable in the death of Graham Etchison. In the book, Robin didn't know Etchison was still alive, and if he'd searched the other holdings after Abattoir's death, as Bruce says that he would have done when Robin tells him the story, maybe he could have been saved. So it's a small point, but it bugged me that Robin was... Well, why didn't Robin go and look for Graham Etchison? And it must have bugged Denny O'Neill as well if he addressed it in the book. Mm. So I I quite liked that, that he did fix it in the book. In the synopsis for the the issue, I say Bruce has arranged to meet him, Tim, at the airport. I'm presuming this is the case, as it doesn't really make sense that they had the entire drive over in Bruce's limo and Tim just didn't mention Jean-Paul. Okay. Does it? It doesn't... It also begs the question of where Bruce has been overnight... 
because yeah. judging by page eight of this issue, he hasn't been home yet. Because that's his first reaction to seeing Wayne Manor all knackered with broken windows and not maintained, isn't it? Mm. So where's he been? Maybe he did a Tony Stark. And did what? I've been in a foreign country for too long. I want a cheeseburger. <laughs> well, possibly. It's possibly spent the night with Chandra. Yeah. But it's a bit of a plot. I mean, you could argue, I suppose. Show off his new back. You could argue that he spent the night with Chandra. Well, I was, and I was just going to say, maybe you could argue that Tim and Bruce went to see Chandra in between them picking his dad up from the airport. But that doesn't really fit chronologically either, does it? Oh. Yeah, because he only had an hour to get to the airport. Yeah. And they can't have got to the airport, took his dad home, and then gone to see Chandra. So that doesn't make that doesn't make sense either. So that's a bit of a hole in maybe, the plot. Maybe he stayed in his penthouse apartment. Maybe he did stay at Wayne Tower, which is oh, still the, part of continuity, isn't the it? The one with the green tree, tree in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's where Batwoman lives. So is that still a part of continuity as of this reading? Not now. Not New 52. New 52 by. So I move on to Batwoman living there. In this? Yeah. No, there is no Batwoman in this continuity. Yeah. No, there is no Batwoman in 1994. It's the same continuity as No, it now. isn't. No, it isn't. It is. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. <laughs> this, none of this happened. According to Didio, none of this happened. As we remember it. Batman may so have followed on... Infinite Crisis, yeah, Jesus. No, yeah, well. there is no Infinite Crisis. No crisis has happened in the DC Universe. This is why it doesn't make sense. You want about the new reboot? Yes, this is what... I'm not making this up. Didio has said there has been no crisis in the DC Universe. Not infinite, not of infinite Earths, not identity, nothing. Right, there well, has been no crises. Well, that's all wrong, so I'll just forget that Didio's an idiot. Dididiot, somebody calls it, <laughs> which I think is a bit disrespectful, to be honest but with you. But he is. Well, you said that, not me. But that's what he said. Right, so according to the new... 52, yes. Did Knights, the Knights trilogy They've not happen. addressed that yet, but they have said the death of Superman happened, but it can't have, because in the new continuity, Lois doesn't know he's Superman, they're not yeah. going out, they're not married, so no, it's... No, 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 it happened differently. No, no, you either say <laughs> it didn't happen, and we're making a brand new, we've drawn a line in it, we're moving on. Well, if you've read... A lot of the comics around Blackest Night onwards time to the reboot, mm. and then read like most of the titles after the reboot, you'll notice that only the Justice League and Superman and Wonder Woman have new origins. Everything else is a continuation. But see, that doesn't work then, does it? But anyway, we're not on about that. So in this continuity, which was the question I asked, yeah. is there still Wayne Tower with the tree in the middle of it? I don't remember. So, according to the New 52, does this continuity still have the big tree? Does, no, can't, I don't care about the New 52. I said forget that. So, just this continuity. In this continuity, is, is there still a Wayne Industries Tower with a big tree in the middle? What I'm saying to you, right, in the pre-crisis continuity, right. Bruce moved out of Wayne Manor after okay. Dick moved to college. Okay. And he and Alfred moved into his penthouse suite at Wayne Tower, Wayne Industries, which was the building with the big flag uh, tree in it. Right. Because he wanted to be close to the action in the city. Okay. Jerry Conway right. then moved him back to Wayne Manor in the early 1980s. So he lived there for about five or six years. Okay. Post-crisis on Infinite Earths, right. did any of that then ever happen? 
did Bruce ever abandon Wayne Manor and move to Wayne Industries? Because I don't think it did. I presume so. Did it? Well, if it was the then and it's the now... But that's what I'm saying. Did it just disappear for a bit in the middle? Does Wayne did Industries... Did it go for a crafty fag? Wait, may it Does Wayne Industries... I can't believe we're having an argument about a bloody tree. <laughs> does Wayne Industries, in this continuity, Night's Quest, have the tree in the middle and did Bruce have a penthouse suite there that he lived in? Is the question. Yeah, why not? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Plot hole covered. <laughs> <laughs> oh, moving swiftly on page five, Clark Kent's visiting Gotham. For some reason. Did you not know oh, yeah. that? There's a guy in the airport with one of those signs that says Kent. Maybe. It may not be Clark. Yeah. It may be somebody else. I don't know who. I'm trying to think of somebody else in the DC universe who's called Kent. Connor. Connor Kent. Well, he didn't exist at this point either if we're going to get into Crisis on Infinite Earth stuff. Yeah. Who's, who's, who was, who was Mr. Fate? No, he didn't. He wasn't called Connor Kent at this point. He was still the same person. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Why would a guy be in the airport with a sign for somebody who's not been given a name yet? What was Dr. Fate's name? His name was Kent, wasn't it? Was it? I think so. Seems to ring a few bells with me. Page nine... (laughs) <laughs> covering the issue that Dr. we're Kent. actually covering, Dr. Kent. That sounds like an American um, psychiatrist Dr. Kent. TV show. Kent Brockman. Welcome back to Dr. Kent. <laughs> so, Timmy, I understand that. Oh, dear me. Page 9, I really like that Bruce doesn't lose it with Tim when Tim snaps at him. Bruce is really controlled here, and his experience with Dick Grayson must have taught him that teenagers snap off sometimes. Not because they've been naughty, not because they're a pain, which they frequently are, but because they're teenagers. Tim had a a reason to snap. Yeah, Bruce does acknowledge his culpability in all of this, Mm. leaving a man he barely knew in charge of all the bat toys. Yeah. That does seem a bit stupid of him. Uh, as you've pointed out, page 16 to 20 is a pretty damn good car chase, deftly handled by Grummet and Chrysling. But I don't think every teenager would ever admit, even to themselves, this is the one for the grown-ups to handle. Uh, that just seemed a bit out of character to me, that. Uh, page 21, nothing hurt but my insurance premium, says Robin. Do superheroes have car insurance? How do they get it? I'm a superhero and I've got a car. If I crash, it's in the it's in the name of justice. Yeah, do you want to oh, give me your real name? Give me insurance. Yeah, do you want to flash your back credit oh, card? We're, we're shield. Give us your real name. With Doctor Clooney written on it. Uh, <laughs> all in all, this was an excellent issue of Robin. Very low key ending to the storyline as a whole. Maybe it's been spoiled by other things, but my thinking is the middle act should have a decent cliffhanger ending that propels the story forward into the last chapter, in this case, Night's End. Here, the ending's very subdued. Bruce takes off for parts unknown, Alfred has quit, and Jean-Paul is still Batman. It's great artwork, though. I love the art in this. It bugs me no end that magnificent 90s artists like Grummet and Mike Parabek and Mike Waringo, two of which are sadly no longer with us, receive little to no recognition, while artists like Rob Liffield and Todd <laughs> McFarlane, both competent comic book artists well. weren't fit to worship at their feet I'm sorry as much as McFarlane's stuff was dynamic when it first appeared as an artist he's not not a patch on Grummet or Parabek or even Waringo to be honest with you all three of them were better artists than him and don't even get me started on bloody Rob Liffield there's a good advert at the back of it for Worlds Collide which I don't think I ever read that the Milestone Universe meets the DC Universe Okay. I don't think I read that, even though it, it looks like it might be quite cool. Yeah. Right, we're going to take a brief break, and then we'll be back with our roundup of all things Night's Quest. Oh, 
to stay on. Let every breed of Mongo live together in peace. Wait, he said Mongo, didn't he? That's wrong character, wrong universe, and wrong galaxy. Hold on just one sec. Ah, here we go. Flash Legacies, a podcast connecting the adventures of Wally West, the third hero to be known as The Flash. Join me, Dave Walker, in my bi-weekly journey as I look at Wally's career from when he first donned the mantle of The Flash all the way up to the return of Barry Allen. Find me at flashlegacies.limpson.com And we're back. Very good. You, I love the way you stretch your chin when you do that. <laughs> and we're back. How are you doing? If, Bing! If, if, this was, <laughs> if, if this was a video podcast, we'd have no viewers. Yes. <laughs> Especially seeing as we're both naked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Woody's Roundup. Woody's Roundup. Woody. No. No, we're, we're talking about naked. Woody. <laughs> Oh, I just realised how wrong that was. Um, we're going to do a quick room. I thought that's why you did it. What, because we get a woody? Oh, that's because you're here, dear. Also naked. Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> we're a very open family. We're in continuity, <laughs> Anyway. Uh, I'm telling you, if your mum was naked, we wouldn't be recording the show right now. <laughs> or you would on your own. I'd be elsewhere. It's alright, I've got plenty of stuff I can do on my own. You've got plenty of stuff, yeah, I know you've got plenty of stuff you can do on your own. <laughs> Leathery slapping noise. Uh, killing off entire that, That's my homework, that, actually. <laughs> Is it what, making a leathery slapping no, noise? No, we had someone in today to talk about cancer, and he said, well, you got to keep checking yourself for any love, so, and I'm sure boys are familiar with themselves, but... <laughs> <laughs> Very familiar with it. Anyway, we're doing a roundup. Of the overall storyline. First off, we want to look at the various character arcs of the different characters. Serialised fiction character development necessitates that little actually changes. It's always this illusion of change. James Bond, for example, is pretty much the same in Doctor No, the book and the film, as he is in Moonraker, the book and the film. And you can argue that the only real movies that are about Bond are Casino Royale and Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Alfred, Bruce, Jean-Paul and Tim all receive substantial development here, but the only one who will really change is Jean-Paul, the character created for this specific storyline. There'll be cosmetic changes, obviously Alfred has quit, Tim is in regular school now that he's not got his dad supporting him, but these will be addressed and repaired in due course. The fact that, like with the death of Superman, DC made us keep guessing as long as they did that maybe this was permanent is a testament to the success of the storyline as a whole. With Superman, DC had the guts to not publish the Superman books for a few months, and with Batman, they had Jean-Paul essentially take over all of the titles, even an intercompany crossover, thus selling the idea of permanence. But there's not really any major lasting changes. No, I, I think this would have worked if for like two years, maybe even pushing it to three, they, they just forgot all about the Knights trilogy and just had Team Paul's Batman now. That's it. Well, Bruce just, Wayne isn't coming back. And didn't even make this labelled Knights Quest. Just no, had it was just, Batman it was and Detective Comics yeah. and John Paul was doing it. Yeah. And Bruce was just off doing something else. Bruce Wayne wasn't even in him. Gene Paul was Batman and he was like that for two or three years. 
Yes, because then this it was only when was it? The last issue is dated June '94, Robin issue seven, and the first issue is dated Detective Comics six six seven. This is October '93. So you've got nearly nine months there of Jean Paul being Batman. Yeah, but it's not even a year. It's not even enough to make you because you've got the Bruce story happening alongside the Gene Paul one it's kind of not enough to persuade you into thinking yeah but the, the, the fact Paul's that he, Bruce Wayne is still around yeah hmm. okay fair enough I'll go with that one uh, favourite stories do you want to go first okay <laughs> um, go on you can go first the time man. that was it no most of the Shadow of the Bat Shadow of the Bat stuff that was about Gene Paul yeah it was that Italian Man was my favourite uh, the Joker stuff I like the Joker the detective stuff, comic stuff we, we both liked the Joker stuff we did yeah so you wanted to go for something different so your favourite overall storyline was the Italian Man in Shadow of the Bat yeah that's why I looked forward to doing this by Alan Grant I'm really not looking forward to doing Night Sim but the Italian Man was because I found it dull hmm. I forgot all about it but then when I saw the do you call them solicitations yes in the back of this yeah well I saw that and then I remembered it's a bit where he goes off and was the poncy mask and dances around for ten issues well not ten issues he doesn't dance around for that but I'm looking forward to the night's end I must confess anyway uh, back to what we're actually talking about Uh, it's probably no surprise that for me it's going to be a Chuck Dixon tale for my money Dixon's been the unsung hero of this story arc with his issues mixing fast paced action with some deeper character moments along with some out and out goofy scenes that nevertheless worked within the narrative whilst Alan Grant turned in some excellent stories Tallyman would be my standout as well. Dixon takes this with the three-part Joker Goes Hollywood art from Detective Comics 671 through 673, which was funny and entertaining and proves you don't need a body count in the thousands to make a decent Joker story. Mm. And it was great. It was just so much fun, Yeah, that one. Proving that you can do a Batman story that's fun with Jean-Paul in the lead. So that leads us straight into favourite writer and artist. Chuck Dixon gets my favourite writer here beating Alan Grant it's very very close yeah but both of them are light years ahead of Doug Munch normally I like Munch as a writer I like his Batman stuff from the mid to late 80s and his Moon Knight and Master of Kung Fu but he just didn't click here for me what about you? for, um, for writer yes Alan Grant Alan Grant all the way yeah for a dude uh, however probably even though he did one issue it well whoever did the art for the Shadow of the Bat stuff the Taliban. Either him or Barry Kitson's one issue. Okay, fair enough. See, that's that's quite similar to mine. I was inclined to say Tom Grummet and Ray Kreising yeah. as my favourite artist for their work on Robin, but really, being harsh, Robin only had two issues that were really part of the story, mm-hmm. didn't it? I mean, we covered the other ones because I wanted to, yeah. but they weren't really part of Night's Quest. We could have skipped them. Yeah. and been justified in doing so I'd go with Barry Kitson for you because he did a magnificent fill-in on Detective Comics 670 which we've now got autographed yeah. by the man himself because we met him at Thought and you got a sketch and you got a sketch of As Bats as oh, well As Bats yeah. uh, and Vince Girano did excellent work on Shadow of the Bat but I'd go for Graham Nolan for okay. his unshowy classic layouts because he was there at the beginning and the end yeah. Vince Girano and Kitson you could argue were fill-in artists yeah. Tom Grummet, like we said. Well, if you're going to go on best artist of it all, mm. all of it, yeah. is an entire set? No, just, just Night's Quest. Kelly Jones. 
You reckon? Oh, that's fine. You can go for that. You can go for a cover artist. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I mean, we've got favourite cover as a separate category. Okay. But you can go for. You can have Kelly Jones if you want. Uh, least favourite story. Uh, uh, Batman 506 and 507. Why, what's that? No hesitation. It felt padded, it felt overlong, it felt pointless. It's the middle two parts of the four-part abattoir arc. Oh, it man. had a number of useless characters in it, a Bloodlines character being the most notable, and the Three Stooges rip-off made me want to gouge my eyes out with a spoon. Overlong, unfunny, just a mess of a storyline. It's doubly disappointing because the abattoir arc that this is sandwiched in the middle of is a major turning point in the overall story arc and is handled much, much, much better in the novel. Do you have a least favourite story, Michael? Least favourite story? Least favourite story. The abattoir stuff. All of it? All of it. (laughs) Even chapter four, which is actually quite pivotal to the overall story arc. Which one was that? The one where Batman lets abattoir die. Yeah. Really? You just didn't like that at all? No. I keep saying this, but it's much better in the novel. It, it bored me, though, and annoyed me, because it was just boring. Okay, fair The Batman story shouldn't be boring. No. I will see, I'm like that with all my entertainment. I will forgive them doing a wacky episode, like a yeah. musical episode. And I'll forgive them doing an offbeat episode, like that episode of Angel where he was a puppet. Yeah. I'll forgive all of that. The only thing I won't forgive is boring. Okay, yeah. my time's too precious to, to be bored. And yet, bored. you still watch Smallville. I watched the odd episode. I didn't watch every episode of Smallville. I watched oh. I watched episodes where there was a character in that interested me, or Erica Durant had a lot to do. Okay. Because she's still my favourite live-action Lois Lane. Okay. But, and I watched the last one, because I had that bet with your mum. Yeah. <laughs> Which, Did you win? Yes, I won. Yeah, so I'm quite pleased that I won because that could have ended up costing me a substantial amount of, of money and time. The the bet was, I bet you that we wouldn't get a full frontal money shot of Tom Welling in the Superman suit. And I promise you that if we got that, and it had to be a full-on, like Christopher Reeve in The Fortress of Solitude, when we first see Superman in Superman the movie, and I said that if we got that, I would take you anywhere you wanted to go and buy you anything that you wanted to have. Damn you, Tom Welling. Because I was so confident that we wouldn't get that. <laughs> Even after, after ten years of foreplay. They would not give us the money shot. Well, I was convinced of it, and I was right. You got an argument though. He still got Superman in a Superman costume, even if it was. No, 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 no. I knew you'd get that. My argument was we would not see Tom Welling. I want Tom Welling in that goddamn costume, stood with his hands on his hips, with the cape flapping in the breeze. I want a full shot of that. Ten years that show ran, and they couldn't even give us a shot of Superman. A full-on shot of Superman. But that's not what the show's about. Yes, it was! The final episode should have been about Superman. Yeah. I don't care about the previous nine and three quarter years. And they couldn't even give you that. So But we're not a Smallville podcast. No, thankfully. Podcast. Because we would be asleep every week if we were in this episode of Smallville. Clark Warren's the end. Yes. Um <laughs> Favourite cover, young Michael. Well, what are you going for? It's a tie between 
Batman 5 or 6. Yes, of Batman stood on top of a chimney stack with his cape flapping around him with lightning in the background. Yes, with, with his lightning projector. Yeah, with his lightning projector, that's oh. why he's back so big. Shadow of the Bat 25. Which is Batman standing on a gargoyle with lightning in the background. <laughs> Well, I'll let you decide which one of those you're going for. Uh, Kelly Jones handled most of the covers for the main books, and I grew to appreciate his style uh, over the run. Brian Stelfreeze did the covers for Shadow of the Bat, and again did a man's job. Grummet handled the covers for Robin, with various artists doing Legends of the Dark Knight and the other issues that we covered. Grummet's cover for Robin 1 gets a special mention from me, being a play on Robin's first appearance from 1940. Jones's cover for Tech 668 being a play on the cover that he did for Nightfall. Tech 669 almost took it by Kelly Jones, which I thought was a really fun cover of Batman being shot at on the train with the Trigger Twins. Yeah. That almost got the nod for me, but ultimately, I think my favourite cover was for Shadow of the Bat 28 with Gordon destroying the Bat Signal. I like that cover. I get what you're saying about it, that anatomically, he couldn't have smashed the signal from the angle that his arm was. But I just like that cover. I just thought that was a brilliant cover. Favourite overall moment... So it can be a crap story, but it had a really nice little yeah, nugget. I was going to go for that. What? Abattoir's death. <laughs> Is that your favourite Finally, bit? that story came to an end. All right, fair enough. Uh, I have a number of favourite scenes from, from the lot as a whole. The first appearance of Bat Train and its subsequent appearances were always good for a few laughs. Uh, Jean-Paul's increased lack of concern for pedestrians yeah. also provided a few of my favourite moments. You laughed at that as well. You're just touring down the streets. <laughs> An awful lot of the development Dixon did with Tim and the Clue Master was also very good. However, and it my single favourite scene in all of this, and is, has there been 38 issues we've covered? All told, I can't remember. Off the it's Maybe. something like it's, it's in between thirty-eight and forty issues. Um, Thirty-nine, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my single favourite scene in the whole lot was in Detective Comics six six nine. The entire last third of that book was a marvelous western pastiche with Dixon and Nolan, with characters leaping on moving trains and fighting on the roof of moving trains and firing off six guns and characters mouthing dialogue such as kinfolk and eat lead and city boys. Which always amuses me. Culminated in a wonderful scene where Batman declaring himself to be the new sheriff in town. Yeah. That was great stuff, showing Dixon knows how to have fun with the characters without ever making them a figure of fun. So is that yours, Abattoir's death? Yeah. For no other reason than it was the end of that storyline. Yep. <laughs> so none of the stuff that we mentioned about it being morally ambiguous, that did Batman kill him or let him die, or was Robin right I, I, to do I what he did? You were just happy to see the end. Yeah. Yes, he's dead. For yes, yes, just don't do a joker. For ding. I don't think we've seen Abattoir again. At uh, least favourite moments. Uh, uh, easy. Anytime those three stooges showed up. The Chris Tucker was, of the Batverse. It was pro. I, I wasn't looking forward to any issue with Mench on the cover. <laughs> <You know>? No. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Okay, they're your opinions and so you're no, entitled my, to My them. least favourite probably is either the Three Stooges bit or Batman letting robberies take place. And just just ignoring muggings. Just, just watching them sat there with some popcorn. Because he's too big for them. Come on, come on, knife him. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, finally, the lasting contribution to the Bat mythos. Uh, for a while, this series and Nightfall had a lasting effect on the Batman universe. It introduced Jean-Paul, who had a long-running comic of his own called Azrael, which I think ran for about 100 issues. 
and Denny O'Neill wrote them all, I think. And Bane, a character who will be having a renaissance soon, I'm sure, due to his upcoming appearance in the third of Chris Nolan's Batman movies, The Dark Knight Rises. It gave Robin and Catwoman their own books and spawned a radio adaptation and a novel. It was referenced for a long time in the stories and was a successful attempt to tell a story about a fully insane, criminal-killing Batman the light the audience had been demanding while still cashing in on the success of the death and return of Superman. It was a book that had me chomping at the bit to see what happened next and I pretty much enjoyed the whole stuff the whole stuff I pretty much enjoyed the whole thing Bane as a character was created for this story and like Doomsday was never as effective again witnesses embarrassing cameo in the movie Batman and Robin he was handled well in the animated series however Death and Return set the template and after this the only other multi-part crossover that even comes close to being as entertaining is No Man's Land with all the others especially the competitions attempt like the Spider-Man clone saga which are nowhere near as entertaining as a whole despite having moments of genius with the new 52 and DC's reboot of their entire line this storyline is nebulous in terms of whether it happened or not yeah do you think it's still dead? well like I said before pretty much everything happened. Batman is a continuation from Batman. See, I, personally, I can't see that it did, given that five-year time frame established by the new continuity. But DC, as usual, are hedging the bets, aren't they? Mm. They're quite cowardly about saying, no, none of it's real! Because well, they don't want to alienate I any of the fan base. The, the new reboot, a lot easier to read, to understand, and to enjoy. If you forget all about the reboot, just treat it as a continuation from everything you've previously read. Because it does... Apart still, from Superman. It does still fit in, except for action comics in the Justice League see I'm I'm not sure about that because th- that's flying in the face of what the people who are creating are you, are the you books reading have Batman? said I'm reading Batman and the Dark Knight you're reading all the Bat titles yeah bro they I'm losing in. interest in detective comics and they Batman and Robin they all fit into previous continuity yes because Batwoman thing you're still around isn't Damien the Justice League Dark previous yeah. continuity Swamp Thing previous continuity Animal Man so Dan was talking about Wonder Woman is what you're saying yeah Fair enough. And all of them rely on the crises. You couldn't Which have never happened. Batman is continuation of previous Batmans, but it couldn't be a previous uh, continuation from the previous Batmans because that Batman all relied on Final Crisis, which we know happened for a fact because Dick says he was Batman. No, Dick took over being Batman happened. Didio said there have been no crises in the new DC universe. But the I'm not I'm not making this this is him, the head of the company, saying this. Not me, you don't bark at me. Well it's <laughs> not my fault. <laughs> uh, anyway, in conclusion, I'd like to see an omnibus of this entire storyline, especially with the aforementioned Dark Knight Rises bringing Bane back to prominence. Yeah. And, and thus then all of them will get and yeah, collected. There's a bit of luck, yeah. Uh, and thus that brings to a conclusion our most epic of epic shows we've got some pretty cool stuff planned for the new year we thank everybody who listens everybody who downloads everybody who listens on Facebook or via the webpage everyone who's played our promo everyone who talks about us to other people and says how brilliant we are everyone who talks to other people and says how crap we are you're talking about this like it's the last year we're ever going to do no 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 no. but it's the last one of the year properly we are going to do next week for you guys, we're having a couple of weeks break now. But yes. next week for you guys is our Christmas special, which yep. we're very excited about, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I am. And then the last show of the year will be our email roundup, 
Come on and join the show. So you still time to get an email in if you want us to read it out on the show. Uh, and that about wraps it up. For I think this will be our series finale okay. for series two. We've got a Christmas special and then a letters special. And then in the new year we'll be starting Hey Kids Comics season three. Which I think is the season that we start asking can we direct, isn't it? Oh yeah, and we want more. More creative control. And a bigger paycheck. Yeah, and we start bitching about the hours that we've got to work. Yeah. So you'll do the occasional episode on your own so I can have some time off. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it works, isn't it? Okay. All right, fair enough. Do I really have to do an entire show on my own? You can if you want. I've done one on my own. Have you? Yeah. I did one about Spider-Man 100 when I won it on eBay ages ago. Oh, yeah. A classic episode. I thought because I didn't have it because you wasn't in it so with that we will bring this to a conclusion thank you everybody who listens everybody who's Facebook friended us everyone who emails us everyone who just tolerates two British people talking drivel we'll be back for our Christmas special on the 22nd of December I want to say yes the 22nd of December will be the Hey Kids Comics Christmas special we hope you'll join us we're not telling you what it is yet. Mainly because we've, we've not really finalised. We've kind of got an idea, haven't we? Yeah. Okay, don't. It'll get leaked on the internet probably. Yes. And it'll break the internet in half. <laughs> well, no. Just before we do it, you're going to go on Facebook and say, I'm just going to sit down and record our Christmas episode. Yeah, we cover. Yeah, I'm just going to say we'll record our Christmas episode. I won't say what it is. And we'll have to put some Christmas music in it. Okay. As well as make it proper festive. That'll give away what we're doing if I say we are or are we joining in as a family doing the Christmas episode. Yeah, because they'll know what we're doing. But anyway, anyway, no no no, leave them begging for more. We'll see you next time. Nobody's doing crap, Miller. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Good night. Comics is a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production, and all opinions expressed by Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money for this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday at apleyland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the second name. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion on our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.
The end credit music this week was by Chris Holland, and uh, all of his music can be found on www.chrishollandmusic.net, and we thank him for allowing us to use his tracks. <laughs>